I robbed you all of a picture to look at during that whole second part. But what you're looking at here is the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. So there's going to be a Holy Land theme to all these pictures tonight. And uh, those are the stairs going up the hill of Calvary. There's only one place that you can actually touch the hill because so much of the hill is gone now because everyone who visited it would take a piece of Calvary with them like you do, right? Like you would want to. I'm going to take a rock from Calvary and just so many people go. And eventually they kind of bricked up most of the hill, but you still you climb on uh, up these stairs. Now that looks like. I don't know if you can kind of tell. It looks like it's either really big stairs or a really small door, and it's a really small door. It's like this high. Right. So, of course, the idea is that no one gets to go onto Calvary without stooping down, you know, without that humility uh, to see just the humility of Jesus, to see, you know, how he stooped down to us. Um, another thing I love. I don't know if you can tell, but a lot of these steps actually, they're not level anymore. They're like indented because so many people have gone up these over the ages. And then this is the tomb of Jesus. Um, it did not look like that a thousand years ago. I think Constantine, the emperor, sort of tore away the whole hill and built this little church within a church over the tomb. Uh, I like to say it's the one altar official altar in the world, which doesn't have a relic in it, right? Every altar uh, was originally built over a tomb of the saints, of a saint, or you know, has a piece of the body of Christ, right? a piece of the church. Okay, saints are part of the body of Christ, part of the church. Okay, so a lot of altars have those relics of the saints, that connection. This altar, of course, he is not there. <laughs> There's the one place in the world God is not, right? Uh, he is not here, he is risen. So uh, kind of a beautiful place. And if you ever go, um, there's something fun you can do. They lock the doors at seven at nights. Um, unfortunately, uh, or kind of ironic that Muslims, a Muslim family has been charged. I think it's been the maybe the same family for 800 years, um, charged with the keys for the Holy Sepulchre uh, because, you know, a lot of the Christians will fight over, you know, who gets the main altar for Easter, you know, and for Good Friday. So they kind of sort it out, keep the peace a little bit. But uh, they'll lock the doors, and 12 people are allowed to be locked uh, inside with all, all the monks and, and priests and everyone else there. So you get to spend the night in the tomb. It's a big church, but no sleeping, no eating. Uh, you do have a restroom, I guess, for you to go to, but um, it's quite the experience. And then bursting forth at dawn, you know, the resurrection, going out of the tomb with Jesus and immediately going back to bed. So that's that's what we did. It was amazing. So merits. Um, paragraph. Sentence 2025. When we talk about merits again, not talking about can you earn your salvation? Because that was already sort of answered for us with the cross and resurrection of Jesus, right? That it's God first, his total gift of self, which even makes this possible, which bridges the gap that was ruptured by sin, 
and that continues to be ruptured by sin. He's the one who bridges that gap. But when we talk about merit, there is this true sense in which we can merit in God's sight only because of God's free plan to associate man with the work of his grace. Merit is this participation in God's grace. Um, sometimes I heard it described as well, you know, the father and the son, right? My dad would take us, he was a vet, he would take us to the feed feed lots or to the sale barn and help and let us help him with his work of you know giving shots to the animals. We were not help. Like in the older I grow, the more I realize like we did not help. You know, we were a hindrance to him. But he wanted us to be there and he wanted us to, you know, be involved in his work and be excited about his job. Be excited about the Rocky Mountain oysters that we harvested from all those steer, you know? Okay, yeah, nasty, right? Yeah. He wanted us, yeah, to be involved in his life, right? So uh, that's an image of merit. But there's a lot closer gap between a child and a father than between us and God. It's an infinite gap between us and God. And yet he still wants us to participate in his work, to be co- co-workers of his. That's why there's so many parables of Jesus. This, this teaching on merits, if you, if you just disc- discredit it, discount it, so many of Jesus's parables don't make sense anymore about calling us to be workers in the vineyard, you know, to the, the parable of the talents, you know, here, master, you have given me five talents. See, I've made my five more. It's all a gift from you. All of these talents are really yours. None of them are mine, but I participated in your work, in your wealth, in your riches. Or, well done, my good and faithful steward. Receive the reward, the merit that has been destined for you from the foundation of the world. So again, this teaching is essential for Jesus, speaking about the life with him, once he's bridged that gap, it's time for us to participate in his life. So 2026, the grace of the Holy Spirit can confer true merit on us by virtue of our adopted filiation and in accordance with God's gracious justice, gratuitous justice, gracious, gratuitous. Charity is the principal source of merit in us before God. That's why St. Paul say in Galatians, kind of this is the ultimate line of how are we saved? Faith working in love. Faith working in love. Faith alone, again, not really found in the writings of Paul. He emphasizes faith, of course, is that moment when we are connected back into the body of Christ. But faith working in love. Faith can be dead, and especially the letter of St. James, a lot of times we might hear St. James being opposed to St. Paul, but they can be read together with this teaching on merit. That faith that works is dead. You know, you say, I'll show you my faith, you know, what I believe with words. He says, you know, I'll show you my faith alive with my works. And it's not just about, again, the Pharisees trying to make their works visible so that others will praise them for their faith. But it's that once you have been saved, (laughs) there's a whole life to be lived in Christ and to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Knowing that, this grace of justification can be lost. 
we can sin. We can fall off the path of salvation. And again, what's going to get us back on that path? It's not going to be any merit of ours then either. It's always going to be God who is first to pick us up. So uh, quickly getting into the virtues, um, just pointing out some of the other topics that the catechism covers before it gets there. Uh, first, Christian holiness. This, this is called the universal call to holiness. Uh, again, you might have looked at the gospel councils, evangelical councils of poverty, chastity, obedience. A lot of times we think of those in reference to religious. You know, the religious live those. They give up all their property. They give up the chance to have a family. They give up their own obedience. They go where they're sent. But each and every one of us is called to that type of holiness. Yes, in different ways. Each of us has a unique vocation. But again, all Christians are called to the fullness of Christian life, to the perfection of charity. Christian perfection has but one limit, that of having none. St. Gregory Nyssa, that's awesome. One of the early fathers of the church. No limits. Onward and upward. So I came that they may have life and have it to the full. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's, it's a radical call. Uh, each of us will answer in our own way. There's um, this holiness cake that uh, I would draw in more detail with better markers. You can almost imagine a little wedding cake there. And at the bottom here is, is the foundation, universal call of holiness. All of us are called to be holy as God is holy, to live a life in sanctifying grace. Okay. But each and every one of us has a vocation, sort of maybe some charisms, some specific grace that's going to help build up the body of Christ. Maybe it's not even going to be for our own sanctification, right? Maybe it's going to be for the sanctification of others. But each of us has that vocation. So maybe priesthood, maybe family life, maybe religious life. And then up here, you have that vocation within a vocation, what Mother Teresa called a call within a call. She was already religious when she received this new call. You know, to serve the poor in a more intense way. So again, my priesthood is not going to look the same as Father Hall's priesthood. You know, he, he very much, I give my heart to certain things. He gives his heart to certain things. We all do the things that are required of us, yes. But each of us has a particular call as well, unique to us. And then this last one is the call of today. <laughs> uh, each and every day, right? There's kind of a new vocation that the Lord gives us in the morning. In the evening, we make that examination of conscience. We say, okay, Lord, where am I at? You know, where have I come today? Where have you led me? And again, just living that life. And it's a wonderful cake. You get to have it, you need it too. Uh, it's never ending. Uh, <laughs> never ending joy. So that kind of wraps up grace and justification. Um, church <laughs> as mother and teacher. Uh, this is also in the Holy Land. It's in the uh, city of Capernaum, which did not survive to the, uh, you know, to be today which Jesus kind of said would happen. Um, they did not believe, so yikes. Um, but there are some wonderful ruins there, ruins of the synagogue where Jesus went and sort of announced the year of favor. And also this is Peter's house. There was an ancient church built over it. It was torn down in the 600s by someone um, <laughs> and rebuilt several times. They now built like a church over it, um, which isn't anything to look at, but it does let you like look into Peter's house. Why is this so important? Church's mother and teacher, 
um, Peter's house is incredibly important in the Gospels. You, you see it first kind of near the very beginning when Jesus calls the disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and then goes into Peter's house, heals his mother-in-law. And it says, you know, his mother-in-law, you know, waited on them, took them in, min like ministering to them. That's not just like they had supper. Jesus was taken into Peter's house, and that's where he stayed. And before then, Jesus was kind of homeless. I think the Chosen did show this pretty well, and I, I didn't even really appreciate it. Like, the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. He was kind of wandering around until he was given a home, right? And he still, they, they go around and preach, and so they still live outside in the wilderness a lot, a lot of times. But every time they come to Capernaum, it says they went to the house, the house. Linguistically, you don't use the house unless you've already introduced the house. You would have said he went to a house. No, he went to the house, and this was the house, the house of Peter. So already it's like the little Vatican right there, church with the Pope and, you know, all the little disciples. Started there. It's grown a little bit, but uh, it's kind of a, a neat image to, to cling to. So this just talks about uh, all the papal encyclicals that will come out all throughout the history of the church, which we can go into some of them more deeply. But it's part of that constant mission of the church to continue to guide us in the way of grace. Again, the ecclesial law, if you go back to that charts, is to direct us upward, to keep us connected to the divine law. So the church does make certain laws for us that are not sort of divine in the sense that they can never change. For instance, eating, not eating meat on Fridays of Lent it's not a divine law. The church could change that at an instance. We don't because it's this great, it's rooted in our tradition. It's this great way that connects us to all Christians, past, present, and future. This is part of our Lenten journey together. Uh, it's lots of symbolism behind it. But it's a law that could change. Uh, but in the wisdom of the church, church promulgates this law each and every year to connect us more and more to the divine law. So kind of with that in mind, uh, I do give you the precepts of the church. <laughs> um, this is the church's, I don't know, not constitution, Ten Commandments, not even that. It's, again, it kind of says the precepts of the church being set in the context of the moral life, bound to and nourished by liturgical life, and they're obligatory, right? Every Christian in the Catholic Church it is their duty and their salvation, as we say at Mass, to follow these precepts. And it's meant to guarantee that the faithful, what, what's called the indispensable minimum, in the spirit of prayer and moral effort. Basically, if, if we don't have these, we don't have a church. So take it in that light. It's not trying to give a whole list of commandments that we have to follow, because again, that's not the new law. New law is Jesus. So really, follow Jesus is the only church precept. Or actually, <laughs> these are all from the Code of Canon Law, um, where we get all the church laws. The last, the last sentence of the Code of Canon Law is talks about, of course, in all of these laws, it has to be considered first and foremost, the supreme law of the church, which is the salvation of souls. So all the church's laws. <laughs> There are always exceptions. There's always dispensations because the supreme law is the salvation of souls. So I guess we can break these precepts if the salvation of souls is, is at stake, but you might find that 
if someone's not doing these precepts, their soul might be um, in danger. So first precept is, again, living in the life of the church. If we don't attend Mass on Sundays, Holy Days of, of Obligation, we're not living connected to the body of Christ. So that's first and foremost the precept of the church. If we're going to be a church, we have to live as a church. We have to live as the body of Christ. Second one, confess your sins once a year. Okay, only once a year. Church recommends once a month, right? Uh, the Pope goes once a week because, you know, he's the first among sinners, right? He'll admit. You know, if we don't confess our sins, we can't be a church. We don't have forgiveness. That's constantly imbued in our life. God isn't constantly taking away the sins of the world. We don't have a church. Uh, humbly receive your creator in holy communion, at least during the Easter season. Oh, my gosh. Once you read that, you're like, wow, I need to definitely do that more than once, right? Humbly receive your creator in holy communion, at least during the Easter season. And again, there's some situations people are trying to live a good Catholic life, and maybe they, uh, for now, cannot receive Holy Communion. Of course, there are dispensations, these precepts. But again, if we're not receiving communion, we, we don't have a church. The Eucharist makes the church. The church makes the Eucharist. They're both, again, body of Christ. Church, the mystical body of Christ. Eucharist is that true body of Christ. We don't have a Eucharist. We don't have a church. Fourth precept. Uh, keep holy, the holy days of obligation. Kind of just talk about the first precepts. But keep them holy, you know, kind of living a life of prayer. Uh, living the, you know, going through, this could, could almost include, you know, living the life of the scriptures, you know, being involved in the liturgy, the prayers of the church, the lives of the saints, all of that in the word of God, you know, nourishing your life. It's a little more vague, but... Getting to the fifth precept again, you shall observe the days of fasting and abstinence. Again, connecting ourselves to the body of Christ, which goes into the wilderness. 40 days of fasting and prayer, of testing the spirit. Uh, again, if we don't have fasting, if we don't have self-denial, we don't have that training ground of love, we don't have a church. And then the last one, apparently in the catechism, wasn't listed as the sixth precept, but it does say the faithful have their duty for providing for the material needs of the church, each according to his abilities. So this is your uh, commercial break, I guess. Uh, <laughs> no, but for real, like, if we're unable to keep this lasting witness, this rock, which God has built his church, we're not able to keep it here. And I'm not just saying, I mean, who cares if Margaret's destroyed tomorrow, right? We'll rebuild. We will rebuild. But again, the faithful are called to, to give to the mission of the church. If we don't, there is no church. There is no mission. So um, all of those are kind of, again, the indispensable minimum. <laughs> they are not meant to be guidelines of like, this is what I have to do once a year. <laughs> go to confession, go to communion. No, the indispensable minimum. So with our last time together, Turn to virtues, gifts, and the fruits of the Holy Spirits. This. Any guesses? Any guesses on what this might be? Uh, again, we're talking about Holy Land, Jerusalem, and there's this is the inside. Uh, this is the outside, and this might be a, a hint, right? Because this is this is above this. It's yes, it's upper. <laughs> it's the upper room. Literally, upper, um, 
tragically, the building actually was destroyed um, in, you know, when Jerusalem was kind of destroyed, 70 AD, a part of history. But um, this room now fills the space that was the upper room. The early Christians remember the spots. It's also right next to the tomb of David, which Peter and his first homily on Pentecost uh, sort of alludes to that buried David is buried among us, um, but pointed to a new David to come. And so I mentioned this because this is virtues, gifts, and fruits of the Holy Spirit. You know, this is the place of the first mass. This is the place of Pentecost, the gifts of the Holy Spirit poured upon the apostles. So three Bible verses uh, that give us these different, all different names for grace, right? Um, all, all three of these are aspects of God's grace. We'll see, again, how this is kind of should fuel your prayer, maybe this Lent, asking for and being very, you know, asking you shall receive for these various gifts. The virtues, um, a nice list comes from the second letter of Peter. His divine power, also read virtue. Virtue sort of means power, strength. His divine virtue has bestowed on us everything that makes for life and devotion the knowledge of him who's called us by his own glory and power. Through these, he has bestowed on us the precious and very great promises, so that through them you may come to share in the divine nature, again, share in his very life, virtues, sharing in God's very strength, his very life, his very being, through escaping from the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. And so for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your Faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with devotion, devotion with mutual affection, mutual affection with love. I could go through each and every one of those, but I kind of just the first and the last. Remember, faith, love, faith working in love. That is our salvation. That's what St. Paul says himself. This is a nice little sequential list of sort of the path of virtue, like getting grown deeper and deeper and deeper, starting with faith, clinging to God, and then love, sharing your very life with God. That's that's our that's our goal. This is the roadmap. These are yours and increase in abundance. They will keep you from being idle or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in other words, they will keep you in works, good works, and bearing the fruits of the Spirit in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gifts of the Holy Spirit come from my prophet Isaiah and are repeated uh, in, in various ways by the Lord. A shoot shall sprout from the stump of Jesse and from his roots a bud shall blossom. Uh, funny thing, uh, Christians, there's a couple names for them in the book of Acts and in the very early days. They were called the way. Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. So we are the ones who follow in the way, Jesus. They also call, they were also called Nazarenes, which doesn't really mean they're from Nazareth. And that wasn't actually what was um, emphasized, Jesus of Nazareth. It was, they are branch people, <laughs> is what the Nazarene means. People of the branch, because a branch shall sprout from the stump of Jesse, is what it literally says. So we are a part of that branch, the branch on the vine. Okay, I am the vine, you are the branches, the branch people. Uh, yeah, they have weird names, other weird names for us that, yeah, we don't want to remember. But uh, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, fear of the Lord, and the delight of the fear of the Lord. We'll talk about those. And then the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. Let's try to uh, run through how, how to read these charts <laughs> and pray with them, right?
the virtues, uh, sort of of two kinds, human and theological. Theo meaning God, logical meaning word, word of like word of God, those that are given to us in the word of God. Again, God has given us a natural law, this eternal mind of God imprinted on our hearts. And so there are human virtues that each and every society in some way has encoded in their laws, even if they're not always faithful to those, and even if sometimes they're mixed in with sin. But each and every society you know, values prudence. That right reason in action is sort of prudence in a nutshell, knowing the right thing to do and doing it with your whole heart. Justice, giving to each one what is their due. Are they due punishment? Well, punishing them. Uh, but are they due, you know, is there something due to them because of who they are or what they've done for you, making justice? So there's uh, also several kind of little virtues that attach to the cardinal virtues. Um, cardinal there uh, comes from the word, you know, to hinge on. They're attached to or they're oriented towards. So these are the four main ones of the human hearts. Justice, for example, there's justice towards God, which is called religion. Religion is just the justice that is due to God. Uh, justice towards the earth, it's called stewardship. You know, we owe the earth to be good stewards of creation. Uh, justice towards one another is usually just called justice. Uh, <laughs> uh, and notice too, uh, I included the parts of the soul because every virtue really resides in a certain part of us. And so we're sort of slowly giving each and every part of us to God. So prudence resides in the intellect, in our minds. Justice in the hearts. Temperance sort of in our passions, our passions for goods. You know, temperance allows us again to have chastity, forego certain lower goods so that we can pursue the higher goods and not just uh, eat delicious desserts all day and be sick and die in early death but rather pursue a life of holiness. You know, right? Oh, I don't want to do that. And then fortitude, also in our passions, but those passions that are sort of oriented around the, what's difficult. So to cling in times of difficulty, that's, that's that fortitude. Uh, the theological virtues, you notice, uh, sort of, they, they aid the human. Grace builds on nature is one of the refrains of the church fathers. Grace builds on nature. So faith is given to perfect prudence. Again, it's not just this human reason, it's entrusting yourself to the divine reason, to the divine plan. Uh, believing what God has said, but faith is more believing in God. It's kind of the difference between, you know, I believe that a certain person is the Husker coach. I believe what he says when he talks about the team, or I believe in him. I believe that he's going to get us nine wins this season, right? I don't know if I actually believe that, but uh, I believe in him. You can kind of sense the difference of that. Just believing what he says, believing that something is true, it's the same with God. We believe that he exists, sure, that's faith, kind of. We believe the things he says, okay, that's kind of faith as well, so do the demons, right? And they tremble, but we believe in him, okay? We trust ourselves to him. That's true faith. Uh, charity perfects justice and willing the good of the other, not just willing what's their due, but sort of willing beyond that, that they achieve their final good. And then hope, uh, again, by which we desire, not just those things of earth, but the heavenly things, our true good. Uh, those are the virtues, gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, there they are. Um, one thing, I, like the way I sort of pray with them is that the gifts are, and they're even given in a specific order in the scripture, 
at the bottom there, there's sort of the path to friendship with God. So you think about fear of the Lord. I kind of think about, about that as the good kind of fear. Almost it should be called excitement or wonder and awe, kind of of the first day of school. When you have all these new people around and you're like, oh man, there's so many potential new friends here. Or you meet someone for the first time and they're sort of wondering on your eyes. Who is this person? I want to get to know them more. That's fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of friendship, right? And then you go into piety, which is that sense of belonging. Okay, we're friends now. We belong to each other in a certain way. Uh, knowledge, again, it's not just fun facts about your friend. What's their favorite color? You know, what's their favorite song? But it's, it's really more encountering, making memories with them. So God wants to make memories with you as well. It's that path of friendship. But if that's all friendship is, just making memories, belonging to each other, you know, wondering about one another, you know, that's not a very good friendship. It needs to be tested sometimes. Sometimes our best friends are the ones who have gone through trials with us. That's why fortitude sort of stands in the middle of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. God wants us to know that he is our friend through thick and thin, that he's with us every step of the way. Even, you know, sometimes that's why he might let us experience trials. He wants us to know that he's with us, not just in good times in the bad as well. Uh, counsel, when you start guiding your life by your friendship. So everything you do, you know, gonna go out on a Friday nights, oh, gotta counsel my friend. Um, you know, who do I wanna spend the rest of my life with? Ooh, I'm gonna choose my spouse. Uh, you know, better, better contact the wife before I go out on Friday night as well, uh, now that we're talking about it. So counsel, we start guiding our life based on this friendship. Uh, understanding then, you know, you know where you stand uh, in reference to one another. You know, you're firmly situated in each other's lives now. You are best friends forever. But it gets even better than just that. Uh, because wisdom, wisdom, again, being more than just what you know, being itself, seeing as God sees, hearing as he hears, loving as he loves. It's really sharing the same life as God is what wisdom is. It's the crown of love is what it's sometimes called in scripture and the church fathers, the crown of love. So sharing the same life as God, and that's the pinnacle of friendship as well. You know, there's this ancient description of friendship as two bodies with one heart, one soul. That's sort of like what it's what the path of spiritual life is meant to be. This again, path deeper and deeper into the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit, there's a there's a nice little line there from the Book of Wisdom. She is one. She can do all things, and she renews everything while herself perdoing, perduring, enduring as well. Passing into holy souls from age to age, she makes them friends of God and prophets. So I'll leave the fruits of the Spirit for your own study. Um, just appreciating that they sort of fall into three categories as well of just what we're made for. Fruits, again, are kind of the, the thing that you enjoy at the end of a long process. So what were we made for? What's the point of all this, right? And kind of three categories, just real quick, are made for happiness, right? God made us because he is himself a source of all blessedness, fully blessed and happy in himself, and a plan of sheer goodness freely created man to share his own blessed life. That's how the catechism begins. We're made for that happiness that with God. We're made for greatness. So those middle fruits, kind of the fruits of true greatness, which isn't, you know, power. It's found in patience and kindness, you know, pouring ourselves out on others, on generosity, letting others share in the good. And finally, we're made for freedom. For freedom, Christ set you free. And to be truly free, again, isn't just doing whatever I want, performing my own power, though. It's committing yourself, being faithful to the end. It's this gentleness, this meekness and humility. It's this self-control that there's nothing external controlling me. There's no laws. 
that I have to follow. Again, I'm not worried about the laws anymore. There's this inner life springing up from within me. Uh, I love that word. The biblical word is literally the power within. That's that fruit of the spirit. You have this power within this wellspring of grace pouring up into eternal life. That's why St. Augustine, uh, Father, you know, Father of the Church, can say, very bottom there, love and do as you will. So, you know, like it says in the scripture, against these fruits of the spirit, there is no law. Um, if you love with the love of God, you can do as you will. And you will be in God, he will be in you, you will do good. So that's what I leave you with, brothers and sisters. Love, go out there and love, and then do whatever you want, because you will be doing it in love. And that's really all I needed to say tonight, but I'm glad we got a chance to say some of these other things as well. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Grant to us that fullness of life for which you promised in your Son. Keep us always justified in your sight. You have given that gift of your full self and asked us to respond to that invitation of grace. So we, we respond to you in the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. Amen. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. May almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace, everyone. Have a wonderful night. If you have any questions, I guess I'll be around for a little bit. But probably a lot to just go home and think about and pray about. <laughs>